0: Welcome to another Griffith University podcast. Thanks very much for coming along today. Today we are extremely fortunate to have with us Vice Admiral Yoji Koda. Vice Admiral Koda was with the Japan Maritime Self-Defense Force for 36 years. He retired in 2008 Um, and during that time his appointments included almost every possible post associated with the development and command of maritime software. Admiral Koda is currently a senior fellow with the Harvard University Asia Center. And today, Admiral Coda is going to talk to us about the Northeast Asian security environment with a particular focus on the U.S.-Japan alliance, including its status, its past, and possible futures. So, thank you very much. Okay. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I always enjoy visiting Australia. This is my seventh visit to this country mainly navy to navy relationship my first time as a person wearing these suit <laughs> yeah but today in you know, i'd like to speak something about the alliance uh, because probably for australia too that the alliance with the united states we are facing some complicated difficult problems so how to deal our alliance with the United States will be a good subject to discuss here in Australia, as two great allied nations with the United States. And first of all, the, let me say thank you for your support to our 311 tragedy. This was really bad, devastating experience for Japanese people, but also various type of support extended from more than 100 nations in the world really encouraged Japanese people as you know japan is still facing the very difficult problems one in the nuclear issue and another one is to rebuilding the destructed area but we really appreciate the assistance from the friends in the world and th- th- this is the picture you can barely see on the left hand side there is alphabet a r i g a t o written by the locals in tsunami area several days after the disaster. And A-R-I-G-A-T-O means arigato. The Japanese means thank you. And the helicopter pilot of the U.S. Air Force found out and he took the picture. And this is one of the ways, only limited ways for Japanese people to express their heartfelt thanks. Not only to the Americans, but also to every friend in the world. Then let me go into the the alliance. Japan, historically, was a unique nation in in the human being history for 4,000 years. Japan had experienced three different alliances between distant area and different race. The first one was the very unprecedentedly successful Anglo-Japanese alliance, 02-21. And second one was the famous tide Pact from 1940 to 45, failed. And the third one is the Japan-USA alliance, 52 to today. So Japan experienced two successes and one failure. Then when we assess the international nation to national relationship, one way could be measure those alliances or relationships through five M's, national objective match, interest match, mutual trust, mutual respect, and multidimensional distance. If I apply this measure to three alliances, Anglo-Japanese alliance really tells the root causes of success. Everything goes, yes. Even the multidimensional distance, Europe and Asia, distance was very long. But because of the very strong sea control of the United States, uh, United Kingdom, the geo-distance between Japan and Europe means nothing. Similarly, U.S.-Japan alliance, everything goes, yes. And Pacific, huge distance, but also means nothing to both Japan and the United States. Tripartite situation was totally opposite. The, were there any of national objective match between Japan and Hitler Germany? Probably not. The only bonding bonding agent is the sentiment of anti-UK, anti-US. National interest of two nations? Probably German or Germany in Europe and Japan in Asia, Manchuria. Mutual trust were there real mutual trust between Hitler, Germany, and Japan? Maybe not. Respect, the same. And point is the distance. Anglo-Japanese alliance and Tripartite pact, the distance was the same, Japan and Europe. But because of the overwhelming sea control by UK and United States, the in case of Tripartite pact, the alliance meant nothing to Japan, to Germany, to some extent, Italy. So this table really shows the easy reason for the failure of the trip Okay, then contemporary Japanese strategy or strategic thought. Just the December last year, the Japanese government issued the new national defense program guideline. This is the single Japanese document which describes the Japanese strategy. And there are three pillars. One is the security activity by own by Air Force in terms of the activities of the Self-Defense Force. And second is cooperation with the United States or allied country, United States. And then the third one, the cooperation with the international community. and. 3 subsectors. One is the enhanced cooperation with ROC, Australia, Asian nations, and India. And this is the order described in this document. So ROC comes first, but this is nothing to do with Australia. And second is promote confidence and cooperation with China and Russia, so communist nation, and the, or ex-communist nation. And the third is enhanced cooperation. This is the distant nations friendly, but distant nations, EU and NATO. So th- these are the ba- three basic thoughts of Japanese strategy in today. And then let me take a quick look at the U.S.-Japan alliance. And U.S.-Japan alliance, I think there are several ways to interpret. But one way to interpret is something like this. For Japan, this is a passport to international cooperation. Japan fought a very fierce war 60 years ago. 60 years, long or short, I can't know, I don't know. But at least the two nations which really fought a very fierce combat, and Japan rebuilt itself mainly because of the huge U.S. assistance. And for Japan, the Japan-U.S. alliance is a passport to the international class. So this alliance has been a basis, has been basis for full spectrum of Jap- Japanese national activities. So without this alliance, Japanese international activity or national activity could have been impossible. And at the same time for the United States, the, this alliance has been a cornerstone of global structures. In other words, without Japanese base or, or U.S. bases in Japan, U.S. global strategy also could have been impossible. This alliance has been hub of alliance network in the region. The United States has four alliances and nine agreements. So alliance, other than Japan, four alliances and nine agreements. So U.S.-Japan alliance. Will be really a hub of network of alliances. And this has been a strategic tool for the United States. In Cold War days, the, both the US involvement in NATO in Europe and US-Japan alliance in the Far East, Western nations was successful in terms of containing the Soviet and brought the Cold War to the victory. And post-Cold War, especially the US as a single superpower, in this period, the Japan-U.S. alliance has been a kind of enabler for the global strategy of the United States. Japan is a very special country because of the Japanese constitution. Japan normally do not use its military capability as a tool to resolve the international problems. But was that all? No, I don't think so. So if I take a look at the history of the, or footprint of the alliance. There are basically three or four phases. One is the seven years of the original treaty. Original treaty was just accepted the status quo at that time. That means keeping the U.S. forces in Japan. And U.S. use of U.S. forces in Japanese, in-country riot or insurgency. That means communist infiltration in 1950 to 60. That was the nightmare. Japan at that time. So if that happens, U.S. will use U.S. power in Japan. That was a kind of annihilating sentiment for Japanese. So Japanese interpreted this is a kind of legacy of the occupation period. So Japan really wanted to revise the original alliance. So in 1960, the both nations agreed and rewrite the treaty. And since then, there are three historical landmarks. In Cold War days, of course, main focus was the defense of Japan. So based on this agreement, Japan concentrated its effort on its force building. And Japanese jumping economy really helped to build the robust capability of JSDF. And also Japan and the US improved the cooperation posture between US forces and the self-defense force. And this delivered the final blow to the Far Soviet. And then in 1997, when President Clinton visited Japan, the two leaders agreed the new role of Japan in post-Cold War period. And Japan's role has been expanded from the defense homeland only to more active enrollment in the regional situations. That started in 1997. And then in 1998, the very significant law has passed in Japan's Diet. That is the law called CSJ, security in areas surrounding Japan. Before that, there was no structure, legal structure in Japan to help or to support the US activities in the region. So in case of Korean Peninsula, there was no framework for Japan to help. And U.S., think about that. 1994, there was the nuclear crisis in the Korean Peninsula. So U.S. really wanted some visible commitment of Japan. And three or four years later, Japan's Diet passed this law. And in uh, 2005, the, when the Prime Minister Koizumi visited uh, Bush Jr. at Camp David probably um, at his summer house in Texas, you know, the Jap- Japanese new role of contribution to the global security was agreed. So the, if the situations permit, Japan would actively participate in the international cooperation. So one of the typical example was the anti-piracy or the Japanese contribution to the war in Afghanistan. So these are the typical example based on this 205 agreement. Then, just take a quick look at the military-to-military military relationship. From function point of view, you know, the, this is a typical model of which explains the U.S.-Japan relationship. Of course, U.S. forces provide nuclear deterrence and strategic offensive role. And self-defense force basically, the engaged in defense of homeland operations and protection of U.S. forces and sea controls or protection of sea lines of communication around Japan. So there, are, there is clear demarcation between U.S. role and Japanese role. And then, how about the intelligence? Intelligence is very important. So there are good areas and weak areas in both nations. For example, U.S. is very good at global intelligence. Or larger or wider regional intelligence, then getting a little weaker toward neighboring intelligence or local intelligence, and Japan is pretty good at local toward global. So this is a kind of the inclined demarcation between US and Japan. This is the intel, but it really complements the two nations' role. This is another typical example of the mission sharing between US and Japan. Okay, the ground force function. Basically, army, for example, army, army division and the, in the United States and army division in self-defense force, basically the same. What is the difference? U.S. Army fight the Japanese defense operation in foreign soil. Just only when the enemy invaded into Japan, U.S. forces and JGSDF together would fight in Japan. But basically, the army unit has the same function. So there is no overlapping. They fight separately under separate command. So th- this picture tells the relationship. Think about navy. A little different. Okay. Navy's typical feature is to operate. We operate in the high sea. So there are very different mission demarcation between U.S. fleet and. JMSDF, which is far different from the Army relationship. JMSDF function is already incorporated into the function of the U.S. Navy. So Japanese Navy is very capable for the regional sea control Navy. So already incorporated into the U.S. function. So if JMSDF did not exercise its the military operation, U.S. Naval Force will face a serious problem. Of course, what I'm telling you is nothing to do with the Japanese interpretation, government interpretation of <coughs> collective security. This is how we function, at sea. So, in the Navy area, no more something like we are incorporated. This is the difference. And Air Force, now the demarcation goes again horizontal. Army, vertical. Navy, incorporated. Air Force, horizontal. So, US Air Force in Japan, will be tasked mainly to strike and gaining the air superiority by the power projection. And JASDF is a dedicated force to defend Japanese territorial airspace. And that relieved the US Air Force, the heavy burden of defending Japanese territorial airspace. So US Air Force will be able to concentrate its operation just on attack or strike. That makes a difference. But this is also different from Navy. The demarcation is pretty clear. So just when I summarize the relationship between U.S. US forces and Japan, basically complementary. So strategic nuclear umbrella, U.S., strategic offensive role, U.S., and strategic defensive role, Japan. So this really form the shield and sphere relationship. This is the fundamental concept defense concept of Japan. Then, I think most of you have a pretty good idea of the size and capability of self-defense force. But self-defense force was established in 1954 under a new pacifist constitution. And there is no marine in Japan. Strategic defense concept is first, Japan relies on alliance. Alliance deter aggression, repel aggression, and fully utilizing the complementary role, U.S. acts as the spear and Japan acts as a shield. In order to realize this concept, Japan provided a large number of bases to U.S. forces in Japan. And, but at the same time, self-defense force should be a <coughs> capable force as an allied partner. And in case of small size of aggression toward Japan, self-defense force should be capable to repel enemy aggression by itself. This is a kind of the force designing concept or rationale of the self-defense force. And most of you are familiar familiar with the Constitution of Japan. Just take 30 seconds. Easy, very simple, clear, right? Is self-defense force is a counter-constitutional unit or not, always questioned. But until 1997, Oh, sorry, 1997. Uh, about one third of Japanese Diet, Socialist Party, were well, struggling against the self defense force. So the, we were sometimes called the tax stealer, tax stealer, or illegitimate child. I really hate that because I spent almost 25 years in that. Circumstance. I really don't like that. But that was the reality. But, of course, the but irony was, the Prime Minister from the Social Party, he recognized the Self-Defense Force as a legal unit in Japan in terms of the interpretation of the Japanese Constitution. So since then, we are officially accepted by Japanese people. So still very young. Ground Self-Defense Force, about 1,500, uh, 15,000. Homeland Defense Force, and new National Defense Program guideline. Uh, please compare the number of tanks and field artillery. Both will be reduced from 600 to 400. This is a kind of preparation of transformation from the Cold War posture to the post-Cold War, Cold War posture. More mobile or more agile force. And also, the Japan, for the first time in post-war, World War II history, Japan started focusing on West. West means China. Then Maritime Self-Defense Force, about 45,000 and force strength. The, one of the prominent factor is in current Japanese Navy, naval aviation is much larger than the other forces, surface or submarine. Okay. Japanese Navy is the aviation Navy. I'm surface minority. There are only two navies in the world, US Navy and Japanese Navy two navies where the aviation is superior. And new guideline, number of submarines will be increased from 16 to 22. That, this makes a difference. And why? Prepare to China. And Air self Defense Force, about 48,000 fighters and 90 support aircraft. And six air defense missile units, And some BMD capable. And basically, the new defense program guideline the number of operational aircraft will be decreased by 10 but not a big significant change and all land-based anti-air missile unit will be bmd capable prepare for north korea okay us forces japan the army no fighting unit and uh, only logistic support unit and 20,000. Uh, 2000 very small very different from germany right and U.S. Navy, uh, including the 7th Fleet, about 20,000. And the two fu- full, fu- fully functioning naval bases, of course, the Sasebo, and the one air base. And 7th Fleet, most of the 7th Fleet are homeported in Japan. And U.S. Air Force, about 13,000, three operational air bases, and 5th Air Force is stationed in Japan, and two fighter air wings. And U.S. Marine, one third of U.S. Marines is stationed in Japan, about 16,000. So in total, about 50,000. And mm-hmm. the U.S. military forces in Japan. The right-hand side picture is the small island of Okinawa. And red part is the U.S. bases. So this, I think, gives you some idea about the real problem of Okinawa. And when you take a look at the oval Japan, the U.S. forces are stationed in northern Japan and central Japan around Tokyo and western Japan near Hiroshima and Sasebo and Okinawa. So, for the United States, in order for the United States to execute its global strategy, the support from Japan is indispensable. And of course, not only the money-wise, but as I repeated, repeatedly mentioned, there are two full naval bases, and six active air bases. And today in Afghanistan, more than 100,000 U.S. soldiers. And in Iraq, decreasing, but pretty close to 60,000 to 50,000 soldiers. But this will be substantially reduced in next years. But Japan is keeping 50,000. So single nation in the world, allied nation in the world, the number of U.S. forces in that country is increasing. That's Japan. Germany, decreasing. Brits, decreasing. Any nation, decreasing. And that's another reason why Japan's government and U.S. government is started negotiating with bringing some part of marine, 8,000 marine from Okinawa to and But this is a visible part. But there are very, very important invisible parts. Invisible part is the training range, which is indispensable for the maintenance of the combat capability of the combat units. And in Japan, there are so many good training facilities. And also the fuel depot and ammunition depot in Japan. Of course, US government did not make this figure open, so I can't say it clearly. But without this capability, any US operation in Western Pacific to the Middle East would be impossible. This is the invisible part. So keeping the U.S. forces in Japan, okay, U.S. is receiving a lot. Of course, Japan received the, its dividend or benefit as the form of the stability. But this is really a give and take relationship. So we are very good. Uh, there are so many problems, but let me skip. Uh, probably you ask some questions, so I'll take this one. Then just let me quickly cover China in the next five to 10 minutes. Because when we think about future stability of the region, China will be the very important player. Chinese naval capability. When we think about Chinese military or naval expansion, we have to understand China has the reason to have the good Navy. So I put the left-hand side, the Chinese, possible four national objectives, national sovereignty, economic growth, nuclear power, as the superpower or national prestige, as the global power, and the horizontal line, I put the body of waters starting from coastal waters to economic exclusive zone exclusive zone to high sea outside the EEZ or high sea at far distance. So when I fill out this matrix, basically, China has the right reason, of course, from Beijing's point of view, to have its navy and to operate its naval forces anywhere in the world. So these are things we cannot resist. So China needs a navy from national sovereignty territorial integrity point of view. In order to maintain its economic growth, China needs a global reach and China as a superpower. China needs a strategic maritime nuclear capability. And as a world leader, China needs a national prestige and In order to realize those national objectives China needs a Navy okay so my thought China Chinese Navy will continue to expand in terms of force strength and deployment area but at the same time when we take a close look at China or Chinese Navy China yes has a new many ambitious programs but at the same time China has many shortfalls. And sometimes Chinese behavior to the surrounding nations, too arrogant or too selfish. So that made, that makes regional na- nations little worrisome, especially at these last two years. Why? Probably long lasting sino-centrism or DNA as a land power. I don't know. But my concern is this Chinese arrogant attitude could get backfired some day in the future. If I have time, I will discuss, but you know, the India may have a similar sentiment in the Indian Ocean. And if China goes into the Indian Ocean, India takes exactly the same attitude. If India takes, there will be a clash. So what we want is we need to engage China and try to make China a more responsive nation in international arena. And how about our allied partner, USA? Common allied partner, USA. From my point of view, USA looks like shadow boxing against invisible threat. U.S. Is, US has been emphasizing too much on Chinese visible strong point. But at the same time, China has so many shortfalls. If I take those two factors into account, Chinese Navy or China itself is still a nation we can deal with. But today, especially in Navy expansion, Washington, D.C. or U.S. Navy is counting or buying too much on the Chinese good part and shadow boxing. So that's one thing I do not want like Don Quixote fighting against windmill. We have to prevent. So basic policy for us is, of course, engage China. But at the same time, as a military service, we have to prepare for the worst case. How? Make a cool calculation on their capability, not intent. Uh, I have been keep on saying there are so many Achilles heels on Chinese side. Then there are several keywords. South China Sea, Hainan Island. I, don't want, I don't, do not discuss this one a lot, but we have to think about the future relationship with Vietnam, for example. Or Chinese strategy called String of Pearls. Of course, String of Pearls is the chain of art, the major ports in various nations, which forms like the String of Pearls especially in the Indian Ocean. But in this case, relationship with India and China, or US and India, Australia and India, and India and Japan, these are the elements we have to take seriously. For strategic nuclear arms, there are a lot of things we can do. For Chinese terminology, anti-access, anti-denial, there are also a lot we can do. Or island chains, or Chinese carrier programs, Chinese term area of core national interest every these terminologies we have to think a lot about the real meaning of Chinese these keywords especially from Navy point of view there are several key oceans and seas for China South China Sea and East China Sea of course China says area of core national interest but at the same time Western Pacific US and Japan area of national interest. Indian Ocean, of course, very important ocean for every nation. Arctic Ocean, that's the frontier for every country. But China, kind of outsider, but China is the only nation which does not have any coastline in Arctic sea. But China has been sending some ships every year to the area. Why? First seabed oil. That's the really the last area Area in, in the earth where we can get the tremendous amount of seabed oil. And China has been paying a keen, keen attention in that area. Okay. We have to be very careful about that. Okay, what shall we do? Yeah, US, Japan, Australia, we need to discuss and we need to review the roles and missions which we can do under today's current framework. And if possible, And it is desirable to develop a kind of trilateral common strategy toward the expansion of China. What I'm saying is fight today or tomorrow. Taking full account of Chinese capability and prepare for the worst. And if we are able to prepare for the worst, each political leadership will have a lot of options, political options, when we deal with the Chinese issues. Okay. So... Australia, very important. But Japan and Australia, we have a lot in common, geolocation. Japan, US, Australia is a kind of midway in between US and Middle East, a hot spot. And Japan is a gateway to the Korean Peninsula and China. Australia is a gateway to the Indian Ocean. And in terms of US global or military strategy, we are a lot in common. So how we cooperate with the US will be the key for the future. So one idea is something like this. I don't know if you agree with this idea or not, but there are a lot we can operate together. Okay, this ends my presentation today. Of course, I had a lot of slides, so I'm happy to discuss everything you want. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. For more, Griffith University Podcasts go to www.griffith.edu.au forward slash podcasts.